Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, movie stunts and childhood stars. You need to have a, a very, very good awareness of the surrounding. Because when we fly super low and there's power lines, there's wall, there's explosion. So on the last Extraction 2 movie that was released on Netflix, I have to land on a moving train and I really want to do something Wow, you know, for the audience. I really want the people to say, what the heck? I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest has performed some of the most intense stunts you've ever seen. From Bad Boys, Fast and the Furious, the list just goes on and on. This is stunt helicopter pilot Fred North. Was the goal always to be a stunt pilot, or were you going to be a regular pilot, and this is just kind of what happened? I didn't know I wanted to be a stunt pilot because I didn't know the even the position was existing. So I just started to be a helicopter pilot. I knew I wanted to do what we call utility flying, which means firefighting, uh, rescue, um, you know, more the flying aspect of it and not like go from A to B. You know, that I knew. But I didn't know where, you know, life was going to take me. So did this really even exist when you started out or did you kind of pave a path for this? It was existing in America, but at the time I was in France. In France, it did not exist. So I had to kind of create the job for Europe. In the U.S., there was maybe 10 guys doing it worldwide. You know, that's it. So it's, it's such a niche um, job. Essentially, like what makes you good at it? You need to have a, a very, very good awareness of the surrounding, the moving surrounding. Because when we fly super low and there's power lines, there's wall, there's explosion, there's cars... Uh, you need to have, you in, in a fraction of a second, you need to da -da -da -da, photograph everything moving and you know if you can go between them, you can go next to them. So you need to have a very comfortable sense of space. And that's something you have or you don't. Um, now, of course, you can get better and better, but you need to have a base. You know, some people have no sense of that. Um, so you need that. And then the second is you need to connect with your machine. 
So you need to be one with the helicopter. There is not, like, it's not you operating the machine. You are the machine, which means, you know, uh, I don't know if you know if you ski, but um, yeah. snow ski. Okay, so if you ski and you go downhill, and sometimes you lose control a little bit because, it, it, you know, the snow is not good or whatever it is, but you're losing control, the ski are taking you down, not you. And you can very easily identify that when, you know, shoot, like you, you're losing control and you're going down, the ski's taking you. So in a helicopter, it's the same. You have to be in control. The machine cannot take you somewhere. You cannot allow this to happen. So you need to be one. And for me, the only way to be one with a machine is to be an expert in one type, which is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm expert in the, the one you can see on Instagram 99% of the time. Um, it's an Airbus H125. It's a, it's a machine that is plenty technical reason why. But And to me, to connect with, with them, I, I often fly barefoot. I remove my shoes and my socks because I fill the machine with my hands and my feet. Um, and I really feel the helicopter way more when I'm barefoot. If you drive your car without shoes, you're going to see what I'm talking about. You're going to I can see that, right? So sensitive. And you basically, you, can, you, you control the machine by pressure point, not movements. So if you have a big pair of shoes, you, know, you, have to, you don't feel anything as a pressure point. You have to move physically something to react. But if you want to fly you know, like a feather, you need pressure point. So that's basically, I think, what you have to be good at. They're that sensitive. They're very sensitive. Yeah. In fact, if you think you turn, it's turning without any moving. If you fly with me and I'm going to show you the, the control, you're not going to see it moving. We're going to go 90 degrees to the left. I, you know, I guess the only thing I could possibly in my life compare to is like skiing and mountain biking. In which mountain biking, like, no, you control it. Yeah. And if you want to go left, well, you think about going left. It's the same. It's the same principle for any machine. For me, it's exactly the same for mountain biking. Because the guy doing jerky move is going to fall. You know, you really have yeah. to. It's pressure point. To me, it applies to any kind of machine going fast somewhere. Or, um, you know, you have to control your bike. You have to be one with your bike. You have to be one with a motorcycle. You have to be one with anything you do. It's the same for the helicopter. And I think that anybody can kind of relate to that in the sense that like, oh, if you're walking or something like that, you take your shoes off. You do have, you do know where you are a lot more. Right. Yeah, if you do yoga or something, you, you, you take your shoes off, you know, you connect more. I mean, it's, it's basic. So some, because of 99.9% of the pilots learn with their shoes, it's not always easy for them to, to switch. For me, it was just because one day it was so hot, it was warm as hell. And I removed my shoes because I was in the Sahara Desert. And I removed my shoes and whoa. And then since that day, I don't always take it off. But if it's a complicated sequence and I'm not in Alaska or somewhere, then my shoes is gone. So if you're looking at like the precision aspect of it, okay, you've got to be within six inches of this spot, a foot, like 10 feet. Like how how close are you going to be? Okay, you got an A if you're within X amount of space of where you're supposed to be. Most of the time, it's going to be to the foot. Uh, because if you look at my frame right now, okay, if I'm a foot off, okay, so it's, a, it's the same for me, for me in the helicopter. 
most of the time they have uh, the camera and that's what they want to see what's behind me. So if I'm going this way, then, the, you know, the camera is to follow and then my background change. So it's usually to the foot. Um, you know, I have to be very precise. Um, and I'm always telling everybody who's working with us in our team, I said, you have to be consistent when you duplicate again and again and again a flight movement. He has to be to the foot or half a foot. Basically, you have to be perfectly, uh, you know, aligned with whatever they want. And most of the time what we do, I'm going behind the camera on the ground and I look what they're going to see. And I'm trying to see, you know, what, what will be the limits, like a visual cues, like a building, like a, you know, a rooftop or something. And then when I'm coming in with a helicopter, I'm trying to stay within those reference cues that I don't see anymore because I'm sitting on the film helicopter but then we have a ground pilot what we call ground pilot coordinator they're very experienced pilot they're on the ground with radios they're next to the director and he's listening to what he says and then he can see the frame because he can see the video and then he can see if i'm like 10 feet off he says fred you know move one click so we have a little code you know it's one click two clicks three clicks it just means it's a little bit you know he can say two feet to the right but it doesn't mean two feet it mean a little bit you know um, so that's how we do it. I'm always fascinated by logistics. So this may be a slight diversion necessarily, but like, how do you get the FAA to approve this? Like I would, is that, cause if I was just sitting at my desk at the FAA and like, you're going to do what? Well, <laughs> first of all, you know, we all have a, an FAA office that we are relaying to. So like, I'm in LA, so um, my helicopter is at Long Beach airport. So then I, I, there's an FAA office there. Um, so since 20 years that I've been in America, I've been uh, relaying with uh, LAX, so Los Angeles Airport, FAA office, and then Long Beach. Both of them know me very well. So we know each other. That's the first thing, okay? And the way we're doing things with them, their job is to protect the public. My job is to protect the public and also to do the, sh the, the, sh the shoot. FAA doesn't really care about the shoot. Their job is to protect the public. So oh, when I submit a permit... Uh, let's say downtown LA, I have to fly between the street, you know, between the buildings in the street at five feet of the, of the, of the ground. Then I'm going to submit a permit. They're going to show how I'm going to protect the public, which means apartment buildings. If those guys too close, we have to empty the building. If the people want to stay, they can, but they have to approve it. So we go one by one to each apartment and say, we are, we're suggesting you, you go to a hotel. We're paying for your hotel room. Would you want to go to, uh, you know, on the weekend? Because usually we do that on weekends. If people say, no, I don't want to go anywhere. We say, okay, we would love you to not, you don't stay on the balcony. You go in the, in the, in the back room. But if you want to be on the balcony, it's up to you. But in that case, you become participants, which means now they're allowing, they're taking the risk. So FAA basically is asking us to do our due diligence to protect the public. So we're trying to always find a place that we don't have apartments, more like a, you know, a corporate kind of area, industry. Yeah, yeah. Because the offices are sense. closed on weekends. So we will go to Century City in LA and find a place where there's more businesses because on Sunday morning, they're not there. And if there is like a coffee shop, let's say, then we'll go to the coffee shop and we'll say, how much you make uh, Sunday from 8 a.m. to noon? The guy says 6,000. Here, 6,000, close the door. So this is the way we do it. Uh, and, and then when we submit the permit like that to the FAA and we, ex we explain where we enter, where we exit, how we're going to do all that stuff, they usually, you know, approve the, uh, 
the the permit and um, each pilot that doing film work has what we call a motion picture movie manual. So it's basically 30 pages and explaining how you are conducting your uh, operation, the filming part, everything, and how you protect the public and the crew. And then that, uh, that movie manual is valid for two years. And the, your FAA office is the one to renew it. So they're, they're putting basically the liability on the pilots and the responsibility on the pilots. So if you do your job right, they're going to renew it every two years. But if you're not, you know, behaving and you are reckless or something, then they're, they're not going to give it to you and then you cannot apply for a filming permit. So on, on an average thing, right? Like, and I know this, obviously, there's like 50,000 different factors, but it's going to cost a movie production, whatever, like how, how much to just do this? And I mean, it depends uh, if we shoot, like if we shoot downtown LA, like when I did the movie San Andreas, if you remember that, you know, the, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, Brad Payton was the director and um, we blocked 11 blocks on downtown LA um, for half a day on a Sunday. And it was a bit a million dollar to do that. I'm not talking about how much for production to do the shoot, I'm talking hard part. Blocking, you know, we had like 200 people blocking all the access. So you need to have a person on each exit and entrance yeah. from any buildings because you can't let people going outside while we're flying. So the way we do it is they all have, you know, some sort of clothes that we can see, but they have little flags, red and uh, green. When I'm on a hover, I can see, if I see all the little flags green, I know I'm ready to go. If I see there's one red, I'm calling the ground and say, hey, there's one guy says red, what, what is going on? And then they say, well, there's a guy that doesn't want to go away. Then we're trying to speak with him. And then um, we have the police that is there. LAPD is there, police, you know, there's a lot of uh, agencies involved. The, the city people is there. The, uh, so there's, there could be 400 people, you know, managing that, that airspace. So, you know, it's, it's a lot, uh, lot to do. So it, it, it costs a lot of money. But, you know, at the end, you have an amazing uh, action sequence. Yeah, I was, I've got some of your kind of work queued up. I'll get to that in a little bit. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like, that's impressive. Um, yeah. Are you ready for some kind of harder listener submitted questions? Sure. Hardest stunt that you've ever done? What one would you say is like, oh, that was the... People don't call me, unfortunately, for boring stuff. So it's, it's always a little bit of a challenge, okay? Because people call me to do, you know, advanced and challenging. So I'm known for that. So I would say, first of all, the Fast and Furious movie, um, you know, low and dirty, car chase, um, that's always pretty exposed, you know, the Fast and Furious. I've done all of them since number four, and we're prepping number 11, to give you an idea. Um, so it, it's a family, it became a family thing. But the, the stunt people and, and, you know, us on the Ariel team, we're like one family, you know, like... We love each other. We know each other. So it's always tricky. But the, the last two more difficult, you know, stunt I had to do, there is one that I'm explaining in my book, you know, Flying Sideways, that going to be, we're going to start shipping like mid-September, end of September, just, uh, you know, for people to know. And I'm explaining, so on the last Extraction 2 movie that was released on Netflix, like uh, two months ago, um, I have to land on a moving train, to drop off five guys um, and the, the 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 complication of that sequence originally when i told the director we can do that we were supposed to shoot it in australia 
because um, Chris Amworth, our lead actor, living there, he wanted to do it there, but it was during COVID. And when we were supposed to do it there, there was a, a rail track, open, no trees, nothing. So I had plenty of room to do the approach, land on a moving train and, and bail. But then COVID happened, and then they asked us to do it in uh, Europe. And we did it in Czech Republic, and the problem is there were trees. So long story short, we only had 28 seconds free of trees to do the gag. So now I told him, you know, we can do it. And now it's hard for me to tell them, well, you know, it's going to be tricky because now you only give me 28 seconds. Well, they would have told me, hey, you should have told us you need X, Y, Z, like 45 seconds. I said, I even didn't think to let you guys know because that was not even a question. Right. Anyway, yeah. at that point, the ship was sailed. And we're already in it, so we have to, uh, you know, do the do do that stunt. Co it's complex to land a helicopter with one skid on the train um, and five guys going out because it's about thousand pounds transfer weight transfer. So if you put oh. one skid, the helicopter is already you know not really balanced. But when the guys get out, you have basically in three seconds, four seconds, one thousand pounds off. So the helicopter can tip over. Uh, you have to control the balance and then at the same time you're 60 miles an hour on a moving train and you have only 28 seconds so we had to so that was a, a difficult you know um, sequence so if you watch the movie then you're going to see what i'm talking about it's very short on the movie but you're going to see exactly what we're doing so to prep that one so in the book you know i'm really explaining all the details what went through my mind um how we did it how it was safe and and it, the, the whole thing that went through my mind. So, um, you know, if anybody is interested, it's in, it's in the book. So that was the extraction too. Um, you know, if the viewers want to, to look, it was, you know, it's also a fun movie. I mean, it's crazy action. And when, there's other crazy stuff with helicopters in there. But then I, I've done another one uh, and I cannot talk too much about it because the movie hasn't been released yet. But um, in Beverly Hills Cops 4 with Eddie Murphy and the movie is not out yet, um, We've done a crazy helicopter sequence. That was one of the most difficult in my career. And it was extremely challenging, like crazy cars being inches from me. So I cannot say too much. But when the movie is coming out, if you want to do another podcast, then I will be more than happy to explain because it was mind-blowing crazy shit. So, And the movie is funny because, of course, Eddie. Yeah, know, he's uh, funny. He's funny. How... Like if you were to put a number on it, right? Like how often, 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever. Like how often do you say like, we can't do that? In fact, it's, it's very rare because um, usually when they suggest for me to do something, I'm more the one to suggest to do something crazy than them because they they don't know what we can do and we cannot do. So often they're more conservative in the writing. And I'm more like, well, we can fly inside a building with a helicopter and, uh, you know, oh, we can fly inside a building? We can. There's, there's a lot of, of things to do to make that happen in a structure, but we can. And then, you know, from, that, from there, they're trying to massage the storyline. So professional, you know, most of the movie we do are big budget and people are, amazing they're the top of the line they know what they're doing so when you speak with a director and he's suggesting something immediately if you say you know that's going to be tricky to do but if you want we can do it that way okay great great and then 
people catch up on it. So it's never like, no, uh, you guys crazy because it's not that kind of uh, relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. I would have like no idea what you were capable of doing. You know, for the train, for example, the director didn't ask me to land on it. He asked me, can you go above the train and can you hoist or repelling five guys on the train, but moving? Can you do that? I say, sure, but that's boring. I said, you know, people, that's boring stuff. Why we don't land on the damn train? Can you do that? I said, I think so. I never done it, but I think so. And then from there, he decided to uh, write the whole story, the third act on it, you know. So it's more that kind of relationship where I want to be supportive to the movie and I really want to do something wow, you know, for the audience. I really want the people to say, what the heck, you know, and I want to create inspiration. I want to create, and I don't want to send, sound arrogant when I do, I say that because it's not my, you know, I really want pe people to say, oh, we can do this. I mean, this is insane. And then maybe they want to be a helicopter pilot. Maybe they're going to want to be, you know, I don't know. It's just to suggesting the young guys out there, you know, yes, we can do that. You know, there's a way to do a lot of stupid stuff in life if you do it in a smart way. And I'm not saying as smart, but with the team, we're trying to do it as smart as possible. This is one that I, I'll just straight up ask it to you, right? Like, how do you feel about drones and CGI? Like, is that going to replace this? So often people ask the question, and in fact, it's two different things. So uh, let's start with the drones. So drones is a new, basically a new uh, filming platform that happened, you know, seven, eight years ago. And when that came in uh, to the picture, of course, people say, uh, oh, you know, that's it. We're going to use drones, helicopter, uh, dawn, and blah, 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 blah. And me personally, I know exactly what the drone can do and cannot do. And if you think about it for a second, operating a drone with a camera system at low level between obstacle and stuff is way more difficult than people think it is. Because to be remotely detached from the camera, Okay, and from the flying part. You're on the ground and that thing is some level than you or higher. Now there's no connection between those two pieces. And if you look at every other filming tool we have uh, in, the, in, in, in Hollywood, okay, we have camera car. The camera is directly attached on the car, on the little crane, but it's attached. The cameraman has the joystick. He can operate the camera that is in the car. So he's moving with the camera. Okay, so he can make his decision, creative decision on the go is with the camera. Okay, the dolly grip is pushing his dolly. The camera is there. The crane operator, the, the camera is on the crane. So it's always a connection. They're direct connect. Helicopter flying directly with the camera. Uh, Steadicam, the guy is, is holding the, the camera. So 99.9% .9 of the camera system in, in, in the filming business are the cameramen are connected and pilot directly with a camera. Drone, no. That changed yeah. everything. Okay, so now drones will lack in spatial orientation. Okay, the guy is detached from it. You ask the guy to go around a building. How does he know he can go around the building? Just looking at the monitor where the drone goes? That doesn't work that way. You go straight, but now you need to make a right. How do you see that? It's clear to the right. When do you know? So if you wait to clear the wall that is on your right to make a to turn, you wait too far, then the shot is going to be boring or you have to go slowly now because when you make the turn, what happens if there's a pole and then you turn and boom, you hit the pole. 
So it's not as simple than people think. So then that makes sense. there's also a uh, drone lack of uh, depth of field. It's very hard for them to know, you know, because you're looking into the monitor, which is flat. There is no depth. So it's very hard for um, a drone pilot to, to know, you know, how far he is on a moving, you know, he's moving. Um, also, you have to understand that most of them only have like 8 to 12 minutes battery range. So they don't have a lot of time really to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse and do it. They have to do one or twice and then land, change the battery, do one or twice, land and do the battery, etc., etc. So it, it's not as easy than people think. So it's a, to me, it's a complete different animal than a camera helicopter, 1,000 horsepower, cameraman and pilot on board. We're flying the camera. I'm becoming the camera. The helicopter disappeared, you know. So you have to, uh, to see the differences. I will say the overlap between the two is maybe 10%. 10% the drone do, I can do. 10%, you know, what the helicopter does, they can do. I mean, it kind of sounds like in the sense of like, I don't remember who the director of that movie was, but it was the most recent Mad Max movie where they did it all like without any of that stuff. And there was just a certain amount of like, whatever words you were like rawness or realness to it that was like, oh, it brought you into it so much more. Exactly. Yeah. So much more. And to me, you want to avoid the effects. It's the same with me in the helicopter. You know, I want to be careful the way... I shot something, it has to be organic because yes, you don't want to, for the audience to think, oh, that was a helicopter shot because this has nothing to do with the story. So you always have to be very careful the way you are flying because you don't want to, to cut that connection with the, uh, you know, with whatever you're filming. As a film pilot, that's your job. And as a drone operator, it's the same. And, and directors that do really big, big, big movies or have a, a good sense, they know and they're going to say, Fred, we're going to use you for this, and we're going to use this, you know, with a drone. And the CGI part, like, do you so think the CGI, the CGI could replace it? So C CGI, as it says, is computer graphic images. So what does it mean? It means you're building from scratch fake background, okay? So it's like a cartoon. Uh, or you're shooting something real, and in the back, let's say there's a bridge across the ocean. That bridge doesn't exist, so they're going to CG the bridge. What happened with CG is if it's not in your face, you can live with it for a few seconds. But if it's in your face, now people are not stupid. They can tell it's not, uh, you know, true, real. So again, you don't want anything that disconnect you from the story. So to me, bad CG, uh, people say, what the heck is that? You don't even, you know, I don't know if you remember the movie A-Team, the last one that was maybe 10 years old. And there was a tank that's falling out of the sky uh, from a plane. And that tank was so badly made, like so poorly made. The CG of that tank, it was like horrible. And to me, you can destroy the sequence because yeah. it's so bad that it's like, looks like it's a cartoon. Like, and that's bad CG. So in the helicopter world, CG is giving us more work because we have to shoot those plates what we call plates is basically we have to shoot the background that they're going to put stuff in it. So let's say, okay, the, uh, there is a, let's say the, the last Top Gun movie. Okay. Yeah. There's all those jets flying and everything. Each time there's a jet flying, each time you see a window off to the side, let's say you're filming the actor, he's talking, but behind him, there's a window. You think they're really filming what's going on behind that window? No. They're filming the guy. 
and they put a green piece of screen on the window and then we shoot that part separately no planes and then they take any piece they like and they're going to put it in the window that's cg so we do a lot of work like that a lot a lot i I will say you represent 40 percent of what we do to me it sounds like you're shooting the foundation for them to kind of put things on correct correct and and they need the the reality the true image so they can put some fake in it but he cannot build a fake um to give you an example, like if you take a Fast and Furious movie, the number seven or eight, I think the eight, there was a submarine going through the ice and we saw that in Iceland. There was no submarine, of course. So the, the submarine is, C- is CG. What we shot, we shot the ice and we tried to find a little crack in the ice. We shot that so they can just use that crack and, and use that to crack, uh, to burst the submarine. So then the only thing that was fake was a submarine. You can even push it more than that. You can go shoot a submarine that is on the water. You shoot it the same way. You're going to shoot it if it was in the ice. We shoot the ice part. We shoot the submarine part. And then they put the two together. That's CG, for example. That's crazy. That's how we do it for a lot of... uh, In Top Gun, you know, two jets flying above each other. We shoot one. Then we shoot this one. And then they put it together. Um, for this, like what's kind of happening? Walk me through this a little bit. So this is the movie Gran Turismo that has been released in theater last night. And I wanted to see, to see it last night because um, I love to see the movies, you know, in a theater. You know, I don't mind watching on TV, but I think we need to go to the theater to support and also watch that like a, like a big event. So here, basically in the story, um, you have those those young pilots, a driver, that they're racing. And in the helicopter, there's, a, there's a, um, like an engineer um, and an instructor that is giving, giving guidance to those guys. So they wanted me to be super close to the cars and going with them. So here I have to be very careful. So you see the blades are pretty close to the cars uh, in the turn. So I have to be very careful for the blades to not, of course, touch one of the car. And you have to match your speed. And also there's a lot of obstacles. There's the seats. There is, uh, you, you can't see, but there's bridges, overpass. So it was tricky to do. To uh, You need to have the same speed on the car. And you have to understand that helicopter is 2.5 tons. So you have to manage the weight and the momentum. Um, and I'm sitting on the front left from what you can see here. So I'm on the opposite side of the car. We make it a bit more difficult because the car on the on the left side of the helicopter and I'm sitting on the right. So it's not always easy. So I need to keep an angle so I can have a visual on the car. And, you know, it takes a little bit to um, to do that safely, of course. But um, that's what's happening here. I would think that it's really hard to match that speed. Yeah, because like, you don't I have a lot that... of time. Because what you can't see to the right, there's overpasses. And you have to dive down to get to the level of the car. So you can't really match the speed and then get the turn. You have to kind of... Be, because also the cars change speed all the time. So, yeah. in fact, most of the time I'm asking the stunt drivers when they drive those cars, be consistent with your speed. Because if they go super fast and they hit the brake and they make the turn, it's impossible for me to manage that speed because I'm 2.5 tons. You know, if I slow down, I have to, to flare. And then when I flare, I'm losing sight of what is in front of me. Because the nose goes That up. makes sense. So I'm always asking them to help me uh, with the speed. And that's what those guys do, of course. They're, they're most of the time, they're friends. You know, the stunt drivers. And we help each other. This one. 
this one. Uh, oh a, man! Yeah. So a lot of people were um, wondering how we did this because it's not easy to be in the uh, turbulence of the other one. But there is a there is a technique here you can see. So you see the propellers and all that wind come towards me. But if you go back to the beginning of the video, my blades that are above us are above the propeller of the plane. That's how you stay off turbulence. The helicopter gets some, but that doesn't matter. As long as the blades don't get the turbulence, it's irrelevant. Oh, so you have to be just... Now, you, you're above the high point of his wing of or his the thing in the propeller. back or you're just, the, it's you're also just the wings. the propeller. The, it's, it's the tip of the wing will create a, a vortex and the propellers will blow a lot of wind towards me. So as long as the blades are my blades that are above me right now, my rotor system is above the propeller and above the wings, then there is no factor for the helicopter because my rotor system is like a wing in a sense. So if that's getting clean air, there is no turbulence. If the helicopter gets, you know, turbulence, it's going to shake a little bit, but there's no problem with that. It's like if I'm pushing you a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's the thing that I would think of in my mind. It's like somebody pushing my upper body while I'm running. Well, as long as you don't hit my legs, I'm fine. Exactly. So kind of the same here. So it's, we're only like five feet from, from the plane because it's, it's, it's shot with an iPhone, by the way, my cell phone. So it's pretty wide. You shot, you sh you're only like five feet behind the plane with shooting that with an iPhone? Yeah, I'm not sure. A friend of mine is shooting behind it. So how does, like, I would not have thought that a helicopter could take off like that. So in fact, helicopters are like a pendulum. Okay, there's one rotor system. So it's a pendulum. It's a big difference between helicopter and drones. Drones are multi-rotors. So they all go in opposition to each other. This is why it's hard for them to turn because they're all going in opposition with each other. Us, we have one axe. So it's very easy to, it's a pendulum effect. Okay, so here it's the same principle. So it's taking off, it's like a pendulum. So as long as the forces pull you in one direction, you can be almost any direction. So here, the only way to be really straight down is to have to going super fast on one direction. The helicopter will just follow the rotor system. So as long as you go fast, you're not going to fall. But you need the traction. It's like a gigantic propeller going, you know, down. As long as it's pulling you forward, no problem. You need to know what you're doing so you don't touch the ground. But if you look very carefully the way we do this, you can see us going up a little bit. We're not yeah. from the, you know, we're doing it and then we're going up. So it's clear for the blades for the, on the ground. So that's pretty much all the questions that we have. Um, do you think we left anything out? Did we miss anything? What's kind of coming up for you? I know you got a big book coming out. Yeah. So, you know, my, my book, Flying Sideways, was, first of all, to find the, the title was not a quiet river. Because it's, you know, it's, when, it, when it's there, it's easy to go flying sideways. And, you know, it took for eight, nine months, you know, what title? It, it's so cheesy, cliche, you know, you, you know. So, and then one of my neighbor, you know, she, she said, what do you do best? I said, I don't know, flying sideways. That's it. And that's how that thing came in, you know. So it, it's basically, it's a memoir. So it's, um, I've done some crazy, crazy, I don't know if you can say that shit, right, in, uh, in my life. Um, and the memoir is, is basically, you know, starting with, extraction right then to explain to people how 
I feel in my heart when I'm when I put myself in those positions. Like when I'm ready to land on the train, it's like what the heck is wrong with me? You know why? Why? Why I'm, I'm? You know why? You know, and and so anyway, see all that stuff that go to my mind, and then and at the end again a piece of extraction again to to close that that chapter, and in between you're gonna see from Africa to Hollywood. How do you go from born and raised in Africa with you know parents as a teacher, as a French person, don't speak English, no visa, nothing, and in Hollywood, and do all the big movies? So how that this happen? And one of the reasons we wrote the book is because. On my social media, there's so many young kids out there asking me, how can we be a film pilot? How can we do this? How can we do that? And I'm always taking the time to respond to them. But then we thought with my wife, you know, uh, that, you know, wrote the book with me, Peggy North. Uh, lucky for me that she did Rory because as a pilot, you know, forget the writing. Uh, but it's basically, you know, explaining to those guys, it's not... It's there is not like a like a like a menu like you can to to succeed in life and and go to what you want to do. It's not A B C D like something you line up. It's your it's what the way you are going through your life with the discipline and the uh, the commitment, the hardworking. But all those things are just words. But what I mean is, quick, quick quickly in the book I explain it. But I. I did uh, an Army uh, U.S. Air Force test to be a jet fighter pilot because I have no clue when I was 18. And I did all the testing and everything. And at the end, the guy that was in charge of making the decision, he was like a a general, he said, you know, you're not going to pass because you'll you'll be a terrible pilot. You'll be absolutely so bad at it that we're not going to take a chance with you. Out. I was 18. So it, it was a shock to me, you know, I was really de- depressed for a few weeks, but then I figured, who's that guy to tell me what I'm good at? Well, why, you know, why should I, you know, uh, trust, trust him? So that didn't stop me. That's what I mean. And the book is basically to explain that as long as you have the, the will and you have the passion and you want, you do what you think is right for you, then you're going to be successful and you, you're going to do what you want to do. So that's what the book is kind of about. I want to thank Fred so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. His new book comes out on October 3rd, and we have put a link to that as well. And if you want to see some of the stunts that we've talked about, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on September 21st at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. If you could fly, like fly on your own, how high would you fly up in the sky? Like if you're just traveling around, are you going ground level? You going way up there? I mean, what's the limits? Like, can I go to space? You can go to space, but only like momentarily. You have to be able to breathe on your own, right? You've got no supplemental oxygen. Uh, I mean, I, I would go probably to where the planes are. You'd go see. I wouldn't do that. I would stay really low. I would go like honestly. I'd probably fly at like house level because I wouldn't trust the fact that I would be able to fly that much. Like I'm going to stay pretty close here just in case. I mean, I would want to be high enough out of like gunshot range but low enough to where I could still see some of the ground. 
Oh yeah, that is a good thing. That's really honestly the truth about I think a human civilization is that if you could fly, somebody would probably try to take a shot at you. Yeah, and my big ass, you know, I'm getting shot at. What would you do if you just saw somebody like just flying down the street? I mean, I gotta tell you, I, I saw something similar. Uh, the North American Auto Show oh, wow. is in town, and they had a flying car company that was showcasing a flying car and that was pretty nuts to see was it um, but it was it actually flying like did the f- car actually fly <laughs> i mean with without without making it sound completely lackluster um they have some kinks to work out i'll, I'll say that so you just yes or no did it fly or not like did it or did it like jump like it got up no, there for it, a second but then it came right back down it flew, but I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Like, let me let me put it this way: I don't think I'm ever going to see a sustainable flying car in my lifetime. Okay, answer this question: If you were an investor in this flying car company and you went to their big presentation, and what you saw happened, would you want your money back, or would it be like this was a good investment? <laughs> if I knew now. Uh, what I, what I, if I can know it then, I wouldn't even show up. Oh yeah. So the car really didn't fly in other words. I mean, it did, but it was, uh, I don't know. They, they put like extra propellers on the bottom. It wasn't like it just started up and took off and flew. No. So it was like they were going to design a robot. And then at the end of it, it turns out it was just like a guy in a robot suit. Yeah. Look, I'm just saying I'm not flying very high house level. That's where I'm going to fly. Maybe three or four stories up. That's as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going. Put me with the Eagles and the Falcons. Uh, Okay. All right. I don't really have any other brilliant questions for you. I'm a little thrown (laughs) off that you're in your kitchen. Why? I'm just trying. I'm just changing it up a little bit. Just changing it up. Show us the tongs. Can you show us the tongs? I I don't have any tongs down here. Wait, you have two kitchens in your house? Yes. I am in my basement. You have two kitchens? I do have two kitchens, yes. Was it always like, did you specifically design the second kitchen and think, I need another kitchen? <laughs> or was like, uh, are you planning for the future for when somebody's parents are moving in? <laughs> I am just wanted a sustainable living space. So you needed two kitchens to have sustainable living space? I mean, if I wanted to, I could easily rent out my basement. So that's also a possibility. Now, did you, was that the original plan or did you try to like, okay, that was your justification? Like, but honey, we could do this. No, I, I didn't, I didn't want to redo my basement at all. Actually, my wife is the one who pushed it. Okay. Let's just quick quick time check. Five minutes into the show, John has mentioned his basement. (laughs) (laughs) You brought it up. I always regret it, though, right? Like, oh, crap. It's going to get him talking about his basement. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm passionate. You you asked me a question about how, how, fly, or high, wow, how high would I want to fly. If that's not useless, I don't know what is. I think it's an important look at basically how people think, right? Do you want to stay grounded? Do you want to live off there in fantasy world? And it kind of seems like you want to live off there in fantasy world way up in the sky. I want to stay close to the earth. I want to keep I actually like to keep my feet on the ground as much as possible. I don't really like when my feet leave the ground. I'm even jumping. 
I like my feet on the ground. Jogging or running is about as much up in the air as I really want to be. Do you do a lot of jumping nowadays? I do actually jump 30 times a week. I go to the gym and I jump onto this little box and I do it 30 times. So I jump 30 times a week. Wow, look at you, man. Good for you getting out there and getting active. I'm trying, man, right? Trying to trying to maintain no. what little athleticism I have. You know what? You know what it pisses me off. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Men, specifically men here who think adult softball is a sport. It's an activity. It's a pastime for some people. I generally, and this is maybe going to offend anybody who I I don't generally like former baseball players. There's something about baseball. There's something about baseball that people can never give up. Like, I think that if you asked a guy who's in his 50s, if like, yeah, you got to leave your wife and kid right now, but you got to try out with minor league baseball team. I think they would do it. There's something about baseball they can just never get past it. See that? No, see, that's if you ever played high school football, you, you can't let that go. Yeah. That would be a good top five. Top five sports you can never let go. I would put baseball as number one. You would put football? Yeah. Man, that's got to be difficult, though, to, like, peak at a young age in your life. I would say I've just now hit the age where, like, oh, my life has... I would almost say that my life has really just begun. I mean, that's that's a good question. Would you rather hit the peak uh, early or coast and then hit the peak... Uh, in a different way, non-athletically, later in your life. I would rather have the buildup of my life start around like 35, 40, and then peak around 50, 55, and then maybe hold on to whatever that is for another 10 or 15 years. So I would much rather have like, I would much rather build up later in life. Because otherwise, man, like that's, for some of those athletes, like that's a long time to be headed downhill. I mean, it's that's why you hope that whatever money they make, they've invested. Because, I mean, look at the NFL, and I don't know the numbers, so don't quote me on this. But if you're a running back and you go into the NFL at 22, you're probably, what, done by at least 30, if not 27, 8, 9. You still have 60 years to live. Yeah, I think if you're some of those guys that are maybe making like a million or two a year for a couple of years, like that's a lot of money at once, but it's not a lot of money for your life. Like, I don't know. Anyway, we don't have these aren't problems that we have to really worry about. No. Well, you are jumping a box 30 times a week. I don't want you to get hurt. Not only do I jump a box, then I also do like some side-to-side jumps. So really, it's 60 jumps a week. I jump 60 times a week, which is probably a 10,000% increase in the number of jumps that I was doing before. <laughs> When's the last time you actually sprinted, like dead sprinted? Sometime this summer, I actually w- was hitting a good spot where I was running every other day, and I was finished with the sprint. Now, I don't know if that's a fat sprint, but that was me thinking I was sprinting. But you went all out, like as hard as you could sprint. Mm-hmm. Usually for the last tenth of a mile, I tried to go as fast as I could. You would sprint for a tenth of a mile? It's a long ways, dude. That seems like you're going to blow out some shit. Well, maybe I was trying to. Yeah. Give me an excuse. Gave you an excuse to quit. I work out just hard enough to quit. All right. Anyways, let's give some shout outs to some people. Uh, let's see. We'll start with Reynolds Pierce. Tyler Klein. His name is Reynolds Pierce. It's not Pierce Reynolds. That's backwards. Pretty- it has to be backwards. 
I, I, I don't know. I'm just going by what I saw on social media. I think his name would be Pierce Reynolds as opposed to Reynolds Pierce. Do, do you know Pierce Reynolds? No, but Pierce Reynolds makes more sense than Reynolds Pierce, I feel like. Well, let, let's 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 uh, keep going. Uh, Jacob Boys. Fierce Pierce. That's what I would have named e- him. Fierce. So his name was Fierce Pierce. No. Uh, Ethan Brock. Dom Gambino. Zayden Arnold. Jack Parker. Dustin Brown. Jose Sanchez and Julia Corgi. I don't mind a Z name, man. There's not a lot of Z names, but they're usually pretty solid. It's hard to really, yeah, it's hard to nail down like a good Z name. Zach. Solid. It's actually literally the only Z name that I can think of for a man. Zay. And Zyler for some reason. Z- I don't think Zyler is a name. I don't think it is. Either. Zion. That's a good name. Uh, let's see here. Let's do some uh, fact or fiction Ooh. with profoundly pointless, pointless stuff. Can you just explain to me like your thought process for either doing your bangers questions, as you call them, or doing fact or fiction? Like, is what's the thought process behind it? How do you decide which one you're going to do? There is no thought process. That's why it's pointless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as you say. Every week introducing me, and now with the po- pointless part of the podcast. Oh. So. Do you take that personally? No. I'm just happy to have a slot with you. I feel like that, too, about life. I'm just generally happy to be living. I I, I get people who actually think that I know what I'm talking about when they ask me podcast questions. And I'm like, yeah, sure. It's Yeah, you keep doing it. it. Sounds good. Will you give somebody advice even though you don't really know what you're talking about? No, because I, 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 then if they try it and they fail, I would feel a little responsible. I gen- I'll go a little too far. I'll take one or two steps beyond what I really know. Like, I'll go a little too far. Yeah, I just know I, I can't I can't do it. I'm uh I mean I embellish, but I, I don't give people advice because I don't it's kinda like uh, like I, I learned one time because I you know, I, I do a little betting and things like that and I I gave someone a terrible bet and they put down like fifty dollars on it and lost fell fifty dollars and I'll never forget it. Uh so no, I, I don't Nope, not doing it. That's not really a lot of money. Was that what age of life was that that you felt like? I mean, fifty dollars is a good amount of money. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that's not a huge amount when it comes to. No, like, I mean it's not like five hundred bucks or something. I mean, I, I I remember exactly where it was when it was. I was twenty three years old, and that yeah. Oh, that's man. a decent amount of money for a twenty three year old. Yeah, I man. I don't know how much you're making, but. Oh, I don't yeah, care if I was a millionaire. I'd be pissed about losing 50 bucks. You are pretty uh, pretty frugal, like pretty cheap. Yeah, I'm cheap. I agree. All right. Uh, let's see. Now back to the pointless part of the podcast. Uh, fact or fiction. One human year equals seven dog years. That's not really true. You are correct. It is not true. Uh it's been debunked multiple times, actually. Um, yeah, apparently it depends on the size of the breed of the dog as to how 
old they are compared to, you know, human years. The thing that I had heard was that they don't age the same way that we do, that they're basically fully grown by the time they're a year old, and then they kind of stay middle-aged until they get really old. Yeah, well, yeah, what I was reading by scientists was that it's it all depends on the dog's breed and, like, how big they are. That's pretty much that's the difficult thing about life is the answer for basically any question that anyone ever asks you is it depends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or you wear them. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does or you wear them have to do? What is depends, you know? Depends. Oh, depends. I saw. Okay, okay. Adult diapers. Come on. Got them. Yeah. You... Well, we both lost that one. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. True or false? Your blood makes up about 8% of your body weight. You have nine. I. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? That's why these are great questions because no, you'll never be asked this again. Uh, that is true, actually. Um, yeah, it's according to the American Society of Hematology. What's the, have you ever lost a lot of blood? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. If you, times. I probably shouldn't <laughs> laugh at that, but it is. It was funny. I mean, I think I've talked about it a brief second. I heard it before you cut me off. Uh, but I have a actually a bleeding disorder. Oh. I don't. Yeah, right. I don't clot like normal people. I'm not like hema. I'm not a hemophilia act, or I have hemophilia. I have like the sister to it, so it just takes me a lot longer to clot. So if I have a if I have a bad gash, like the Saturday, I cut my 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 leg open weed whipping, and uh, you know it's still kind of like an open wound because it just hasn't completely clotted all the way yet because it was a pretty deep laceration. Good. I man, you like you look how many words you use there, gash laceration what is it what's going on over there dr shaw you studying to be for the medical boards there i mean there is a there is a dr shaw but i am not related oh yeah do people ask you about that shit all the time like hey dr shaw is it your foot no i mean I, I used to get teased for it for whatever reason back in back when i was a child but it's completely different spelling so i don't really have to worry about it i got made fun of because of the nickelodeon thing Hey, Nick Jr., Nickelodeon. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That's the stupidest. That's That sounds dumb, not going to lie to you. I'm also from Kansas, so I got that. You're not in Kansas anymore all the time. Whenever there's a really obvious thing to say to somebody, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. Just keep it to yourself. Just let, it's kind of, <laughs> I'll never forget the uh, comedian Ron White once said, next time you have a thought, just let it go. Yeah, it's funny, man. I it's funny. I I think that's an underrated art that has that that people don't appreciate is making other people laugh like that. I don't. This is my big theory now. Now you're gonna have to hear my whole theory about why there's no. I don't think that there's really any more good comedies or comedy series anymore because real life is just too funny. Like you can't compete with TikTok or Instagram or any of those kind of social media things where like you just can't compete with real life. And I could see like the, all the other things that people think of are just funnier. Like if I had a choice between going and see a comedian or watching like social media for an hour, I have way more fun on social media. Like it's just funnier. Yeah. I mean, uh, 
I think there's a good place for the art. Like I said, I and don't get me wrong, all you TikTokers and young people out there, but I, I don't really think making a TikTok makes you an artist. I, I mean, you so. can be creative in many different ways. I think creativity is creativity. I just think that those things are funnier now, right? Like people are funnier. Like there's a lot of funny people and ultimately comedians, you can only think of so many things. Anyway, there's my whole thing. There's my rant. All right, th this one might gross some people out, but no, I, th I thought no, it was... I hate gross ones. I thought it could potentially be interesting. Okay. Uh, do you know what figs are? Yeah, dude. It's like a food, right? That's great. Okay, good. Well, you know, it can be uh, exotic sometimes. Uh, figs aren't considered vegan because they have dead wasps. I don't want to know about this stuff. What do you mean they have dead wasps? I don't want to know about anything that's in my food. I never want to know how the proverbial sausage is made. I don't want to know about any of it. Okay, fine. Don't want to no, know about me... any of it. All right, well, that's that's true, by the way. Uh, Why do see. they have dead wasps inside of them? Let's see, now you want to know. I don't. Uh, I don't really want to know, but... While figs themselves are fruit, they often include bugs. According to Vegan Life, they explain that a female wasp will enter the fig, passing into a part of the plant known as the calmyrna while trying to lay her eggs. Eventually, she will die and is broken down by a protein-digesting enzyme inside of the fig. Oh, well, then she's not, that's not really there if it's all broken down. It's not like you're going to bite into the fig and the dead wasp is in there. No, but her body's in there. It's broken down, right? <laughs> if mean, it gets turned sure? into like your bait, like if it digests it essentially and it's just all that's left is like whatever the parts of the wasp, like, right? <laughs> like the wasp's legs were turned into whatever chemical and it's now in there. Like if it's broken down, it's not a big deal. It's probably crap and everything. Listen. I was just shocked by that, that that, you know. I'm not eating any that's figs true. anyway. That's a, that's a food that I would never go to the grocery store and buy. And, see, I, and I love figs. Imagine that. Of course I do. You're just eating figs by itself? Oh, they're delicious, man. Ew. Anyways. Uh, all right, last one here. God, Probably... I forgot. Of course you're eating it. Food snob. Pointless fact all you have here. Is, all you have is apples. You don't have any figs or dates or kumquats. Have you ever had a kumquat? I honestly don't even know what it is, but I love saying the word. Like, if you put a kumquat in front of me, I wouldn't know what it was at all. I feel like we should really just stop saying the word kumquat while we're... It's a great uh, word, though. Kumquat. <laughs> uh, all right, last one here. Daddy long legs are the most poisonous spider. Yes, that is true, but they can't pierce your skin. Actually... That is not true. Oh, it's not? What is? Daddy long legs aren't even spiders. Oh, God. See, this is what <laughs> I mean. Like, you, you, the phrasing of your questions are just terrible. Why? If you if you were an educated person, you would know this. But this is what gets me upset about it, right? Is because you ask the questions based on a technicality. And then when I point out that there's a technicality in there that should make it either the, a different answer, you don't want to hear that. Right? I I mean, what's the technicality? They're not spiders. They're not arachnids. It's like, but it's a word choice thing, right? Like you're setting no. it up, you're going one direction, and then it's like, ah, oh, tricked you. It's not a fair, it's not a fair game. That's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. It's not a fair game, right? 
So then if you're going to say something else, you can't call me if I'm going to be like, oh, well, that's a technicality and it's different. You know what? I'm not going to call you. All right. I'm going to call somebody else. Well, you text people. Still going to text people, right? (laughs) You're right. Nobody actually talks on the phone anymore. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Do you get annoyed if someone doesn't respond? Like they just don't respond at all. Well, are you going to try to text them again at a later date? Or you're like, well, nope, that's done. Uh, I mean, there are very few instances, and I'm not trying to boast here, in my life that I can remember being upset because somebody didn't get back to me. Um, But you remembered it. Because usually I just forget. No, I remember. Because I've actually been told I am not the greatest at getting back to people via text message. But I actually think I'm pretty good. I think you're fairly good. So what is the most poisonous spider then? I don't know. I didn't get that far in the research. The funnel spider. Oh, oh, don't ever look. Don't look that up. What does a kumquat look like? How do you spell kumquat? K or C? Kumquat. Uh, kumquat. K-U-M-Q-U-A-T. Oh, it basically just looks like a little orange. Well, now I know what a kumquat is. Hold on. I'm looking up funnel spider. Don't look it up, dude. It's going to be gross. That's fine. Especially if you see me. like. Especially if you see what happens when a spider bite. Yeah, dude. I don't don't look that up. Oh man, that thing looks that thing looks gnarly. It's amazing what we can survive. Well or not, I guess, survive in some cases. Nope. Yeah, dude, I ain't messing with that. Okay. Yeah, I'm good with that. Do you have any more fact or fiction things or are you done making up things? Are you done making I'm stuff done, up? I, I'm done making up facts there, pony boy. Okay. This is I've never seen that movie, by the way. I mean, that's... The Outsiders? uh, I've read the book. No, you didn't. I did. I think it was part of, like, one of those assigned books that you had to read at a certain point, like, for a certain grade or something like that. (laughs) No, you didn't. I did. I read the book. I remember because there was this thing where, like, I remember a big thing thinking, like, oh, he jumped off the front porch, and one guy did a backflip, and I was like, whoa, those guys must be cool. How many books have you read this year? Two. I've actually read two books. How many books have you read over there? I've read LeVar two Burton? on submarines alone. God, I bet you have read. How many, have you really read two books on submarines? I have, but they were in the beginning of the year. I'm, were I'm they, plowing through books now. Were they different submarines or the same submarine? Different submarines. I don't understand why you hate on me. for Submarines are technologically uh, like amazing. Technologically, I believe. Technologically, amazement of the world society cisness. I'm sure they're incredible. I have to plug in my computer because I think it's going to die. I'm sure they're incredible, but like... If it dies, I'm just going to finish this by myself. Uh, are you ready for our top five? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, so our top five is top five child stars. There's a lot of child stars, man. There's a lot of people that could make a good run at this list. Now, how far back in history did you go? Because I only went my lifetime. Yeah, like likewise, because uh, um, yeah, likewise. I, I was looking at, like the Shirley Temples, the yeah. Rooney's. I mean, sh- they should be on the list, but they didn't really make an impact in my lifetime. 
while I was a child, you know what I mean, or a teenager. I think that if you went number one overall all time, it would be Shirley Temple. I think that yeah, that's I mean, pretty much that would be. be the biggest one. But it didn't really have an impact on our lives. It's interesting that I was actually looking something up about Shirley Temple. She basically made all these movies as a kid and then just stopped. And then didn't make one for... I think she was active from like 1932 to 1938 or something like that. And then just never did him again. She was by far, I mean, I mean, she was the, the mold, right? So she has to be number one. But however, I wasn't alive in 1940 or 50 or whenever she was. You have to be really famous for people now to know who you were if you were back at like 100 years ago. You were probably massively famous. Yeah, I mean, most people who create something or or are the precedent usually don't get forgotten. No. So, like us, making this show. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully, 20 years from now, it'll just be deleted. Um, Okay, what's your number five? (laughs) All right, so once again, just going from, you know... Our childhood, and I, I think there's a should be a consensus number one possibly. Okay. But I guess, Bold. I guess we'll get to we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so my number uh, five is Elijah Wood. I don't know anything that he did as a kid. I don't know anything that he did as a kid. So I'm gonna have to disagree with that. Uh, he did the Good Son. Nope. He did uh, Forever Young. Yeah, so he didn't mention anything that I've actually seen. Have you? So the Good Son is a terrible movie, but also has another childhood star in it that is on my list. And those uh, uh, at home who are listening to this, who know who that is, will automatically go, "Yeah, I just I wonder how high he is on your list." My thing about this though would be is that some people, if they have remained pretty famous remained at their level of fame throughout their lifetime, then I don't really consider them to be a childhood star. So, for example, would be Leonardo DiCaprio, who has been gradually getting more and more famous. So I wouldn't really consider him a childhood star. When I think of a childhood star, I think of somebody who kind of like tapered off after their childhood. Okay. I mean... That's why I wouldn't put Elijah Wood on there. Th- that's fair. Uh, I-, I see what you're saying, but to me, a childhood star doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that was super famous as a kid and fanned out, but somebody that if they didn't have those opportunities as a child, probably wouldn't have got you know the, mm. the opportunities as an adult. My number five is all of the Disney people. I think all of the Disney people are basically the same level, right? Like, I can't even name all of them. Selena Gomez, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande. All of those Disney people, I think, are about like, all right, they're all kind of the same. (laughs) I just can't wait for you when you release the the top five list on social media, what you're going to pick for that animation. You're going to have a lot to choose from. you got a lot to choose from. Probably Wrecking Ball, Miley Cyrus. (laughs) All right, my number four, uh, Christina Rishi. Oh crap! I get her confused with Anna Paquin. Which one's Christina <laughs> uh, Ricci? The Adams Family. Oh yeah. Wednesday. Okay, I think it's a little top heavy of a list. I think some of the I think that three, four, and five could be people you're like, oh yeah, who? Which one is that one? 
maybe. My number four is Kristen Dunst or Kirsten Dunst. Oh, that's my number three. What is her name? Is it Kirsten Dunst or Kristen Dunst? Kirsten. It's K-I-R. It's none of those. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten. 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 Would you... Come Kirsten? I don't know. If you had a name where people were constantly mispronouncing it. Well, I have a last name that people are always doing that to. Do you, would you bother correcting them or are you just like, whatever? I mean, my last name is five letters and people don't say it right. My last name is Vinzant, which people always put Van Zant or Van Zant with a D, and I just don't even bother. I get Schultz, I get Schul, I get Schul, I get Shell. Like I never get just Schul. Like it's always. Do you think people get like Tom Smith or like John Brown? (laughs) You think they screw those up too? No, because listen, we're a simple, you know, we're a simple race, right? Like. We like simple things, and those names are simple. Henry Ford. Henri Fjord? Like, Henri? Like, it's fucking Henry. Well, I mean, if you're in France, it could be Henri. Yeah, but... that is true. But if, if people listening to this in the audience, if you have a really basic name, like a really simple name, Tom Ford, Bob Jones, let us know if people screw it up. <laughs> I'd be fascinated. It's like, who's this person? Bob, Bob Junose, <laughs> boob, like, it's fucking Bob, <laughs> right? Like, jeez, fucking Bob. He's been here forever. Uh, my number three is Lindsay Lohan. See, so I I thought about putting her on, she then was I was big. like, well, then I feel like I have to put Molly Ringwald on. Oh, or- she's no Lindsay Lohan. I mean, Molly Ringwald was huge in the eighties, and she was a teenager. When she made most of those movies. I do always find it hilarious, though, when, like, it's like, I'm a teenager. Like, the look of the actor, and they're, like, 30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a little weird. Right? Like, I'm eight, <laughs> and it's a 16-year-old. Like, okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it doesn't, not really. Okay. What's your number two? The Harry Potter kids. You have them as number two. I know who your number one is, then. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Emma Stone. No, Emma Watson, rather, not Emma Stone. Is it Emma Watson um, or Sarah Watson? No, it's Emma Watson. <laughs> it's Emma Watson. I know a Sarah Watson. I don't know an Emma Watson. I don't know a lot of Sarahs. Two. That's weird. What no name do you know the most of? Like, what name do you know the most? The most Johns, Mikes, Toms? Hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I know a lot of Mikes. I know a good amount of Johns. Three of them. No, that's not true. What's your number two? No Jim. one cares. I know a decent amount of Jims. No, I don't. That's yeah. not true at all. Shout out to Jim Cavanaugh, Orlando's finest. Jim Doubt. Also, shout out to Jim Doubt. Phoenix's finest. That's all I got. <laughs> that's only two Jims. Yeah. Um... Just let me know if my number two is your number one. My number two is Macaulay Culkin. Yes, that's my number one. That's what I thought. He was a big-time childhood star. Which is weird that his brother is now a star as an adult. <laughs> I mean, I uh, there there wasn't a bigger childhood uh, movie actor uh, for me growing up than... Besides the cast of The Mighty Ducks and The Sandlot... Like individually, there was no there was no one bigger. But was he in that many movies, or was he just known so much for Home Alone? 
Because I can't think of any other movies that he was in besides Home Alone. Oh, he did like a four or five. He did uh, uh, Richie Rich. Remember that movie? Yeah. Well, no, but I remember that he did it. <laughs> um, hold on, I'm looking it up here. There was something I know, else. I there was a really sad one where he like dies. Oh yeah. Well, well, he was in the the Good Son. He was Elijah Wood's co co star in that movie. Is that where, where he's he dies? Like the, probably. What's the um, one with him and the girl? Then one of them dies. My girl. Oh yeah, my, my girl. girl. That's a great movie. The Page Master. Come on. What you gonna hang on the Page Master? I would if I'd ever seen it or heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, those are it. But like, the, those are good. Like, those are good enough for 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 to have a to have a good. I mean, when I when I thought about a top five list, I'm like, okay, he'd be. Th- Three, four, five for me ever in the childhood. He would be up there. Uh, My number one is Daniel Radcliffe. I think he's probably the most famous child star. Maybe not the biggest child star, but in terms of like the sheer amount of people who know who he is, it's probably Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, I mean... Once again, it's hard. It's hard, right, for for like me to say sure because I have met number two, but like I wasn't, you know, I I wasn't a teenager or anything when the, those movies came out. So I don't know how big they are to the kids of to today or teenagers of today. My justification for it is in he was in just as probably many movies as any other child star, and those movies were bigger. So that's why I would say that he's the biggest. I mean. It's it's hard to go against that, but I'm confident in Macaulay Culkin as my number one. Do you think that there has been though anybody more famous throughout their entire life than Michael Jackson? Yes. Throughout their entire life. Yes. Who are we gonna put ahead of Michael Jackson for being famous throughout childhood, teenage, young adult, adult, getting older? Who would you even put on that level? I mean, it's 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 hard. I mean, you could say LeBron, who was nationally recruited at ten, eleven, twelve. I mean, he wasn't singing at the age of six, but also LeBron has something Michael didn't have. And I'm not saying this to be funny, but like LeBron's going to have a like a, a long lasting legacy because he's going to live to be 70, 80. But he wasn't on the world stage at that time of his life. Like people maybe knew who he was, but he wouldn't have been on like the world stage as a ten year old. I think Michael Jackson was. I mean, you could say like a Ronaldo, a Messi, those greatest soccer players of all time. I mean, they get into the academies at 9, 10. I mean. But they're not like world famous. People who know may know them, but people who really follow that. But I don't think like your casual person. I can't think of anybody that would be on the same level as Michael Jackson. I mean, you make a good point. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's tough to put anyone with him but there has to be there has to be somebody as famous or more famous than him maybe leonardo dicaprio you could make an argument that has been Mm. generally famous throughout his entire life Eh. high level famous high level famous yeah i mean I, i don't know i will say that being a musician you know it's a lot easier i think to be a long lasting childhood transitional star than if you're an actor yeah yeah, that's true. Actors' careers kind of come and go. 
like a lot of the people on our list, you don't really hear from that much anymore. No, but would you? I mean, if if I made all that money as a child, I wouldn't work if I had if I managed my money correctly. I wouldn't. But then I don't think if you grow up with that, right? Like you probably feel like you've lost something by not being super famous anymore. True. You know, but if you gain something you didn't have before your formative years, you're probably just like, oh, cool. That was an interesting <laughs> period of my life. Now I'm just going to sit on my money. Who's in your honorable mention? Um, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Probably, probably worth maybe more, but whatever. Dakota Fanning. Which one was she? Uh, man, she was in a number of uh, of movies. I Am Sam, uh, War of the Worlds. Oh, I do remember that kid. Fire. Okay. Yeah, she's the the little girl in most of those. Um, I mean, and, th- and then staying away from the the older childhood stars. I mean, you know, th- those are probably the two that I that I put out there. The only other one that I had on mine, uh, I had a couple: uh, Screech and Urkel. Pretty big child stars. Yeah, both turned out to be great adults. I think. Yeah, it didn't work. Didn't seem to be headed in the that that <laughs> that seemed to head in the other direction. Haley Joel Osment, kid from The Sixth Sense. He was big time famous. Oof, man, that's who's the kid from Star Wars too? He um, dropped out completely. I think Star Wars. Jake. Jake something. Yeah, but he was in those movies and then, like, nothing else. It, like, completely ruined it for him. Fuck, man. The, oh, you're, you're kind of making me kind of go back on my list now because, yeah, that those are two good ones. Child actor from Star Wars. But he was, like, driven out of it. Or even Hayden Panettiere. Like, Who? she was a Hayden Panettiere. No idea. No idea, bro. Okay, well. Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. He's 34 now. Oh, yeah. He probably, it looks like he had to change his name. He had to disappear off the face of the earth. That's got to be tough, man, that poor kid. He was also in Jingle All the Way. Hmm. (laughs) Wait, was he in the, was he also in the Adam Sandler movies? Was that that same kid? Oh no no no! The guy, the kid from Big Daddy, but uh, that kid is famous, I think now. Man, what does Wikipedia do with their? How did they get their photos? It's like the worst photo anyone could ever find of that who, person. Who? Anybody? Look at look up Jake Lloyd and this Wikipedia poster. He looks like he looks like a thirty five year old working at a gas station, and just hates it. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, oh man, that's got to yeah, be tough. Yeah, poor guy. That's poor guy right there, man. Oh, he, man. But look how yeah. bad all of Wikipedia's pictures are for famous people. Like, that's the picture you chose? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, good for him. He whatever did not whatever he's want doing, that. He did not want that photo to be taken. He was <laughs> not <No>. happy. <laughs> uh, okay, that's your whole honorable mention? That's it. I'm going to get my pod racer and get out of here. Would you drive? Would you have a pod racer if you could? Like, would you be like, oh, I'll take this pod racer? Absolutely. Yeah, I would take that pod racer too. At least this is making a comeback. Those movies aren't that bad.
Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a quick review. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And let us know who you think are some of the biggest childhood stars. I really think that just from sheer, I can recognize that person. It's probably Daniel Radcliffe. But Macaulay Culkin is right there. But let us know who you think should be in the top five. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.